Back in September, I visited Latvia, and when I was there, I was pleased to hear that the National Church of Latvia is the Lutheran Church. I must admit, I was quite ignorant. I presumed it was the Russian Orthodox. I'm quite pleased to hear, oh, it's the Lutheran Church. It's the National Church of Latvia. But then was saddened to hear, it's not a church you can rely on to tell you the gospel. Now think of that, Lutheran. Who does that mean founded it? Martin Luther, the man who in the 16th century rediscovered the gospel and then risked his life to defend and spread that gospel. And now the Lutheran church, well, it's changed what it believes and don't turn, well, so I'm told, don't turn up to it if you want to hear the gospel. Now, it's not just the Lutheran church, of course. It's happened to so many churches. So many have started well, but then over time, have left the gospel. So the question we're faced with is, how do we stop that happening to Hollywell? It would be utterly foolish and proud to think, well, it couldn't happen to us. So how do we stop it happening to Hollywell? Now, I hope that matters to you. I hope you're interested in that, because it really does matter. And here's one of the reasons it matters. One of the reasons it matters. Would you turn to 1 Timothy 3? 1 Timothy 3, and those who've been here for the last couple of months will know that 1 Timothy 3 contains the key verse of the letter to Timothy. The key verses. 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed... You will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church is to be the foundation defending the truth, is to be the pillar displaying the truth. The truth, the gospel message of Jesus. Now that is the medicine that the people around you need. Your neighbours need it. Your work colleagues need it, your relatives need it, and future generations, if this church is still here in 40 years' time, will need it. And so we must make sure this church keeps giving the pure medicine, not a contaminated, mixed-up drug. And when so many churches have shifted what they've believed and what they're giving isn't the pure medicine, it's a contaminated drug we can't presume that we won't end up that way. So how do we make sure that Hollywell keeps on being the foundation defending the truth and the pillar displaying the truth? Well, one way is in our verse we've got to this evening. 1 Timothy 6, verse 12. As we've been going through Timothy, we've got to chapter 6. We are going to slow down over this next paragraph. And we've got to verse 12. And simply this phrase, fight the good fight of the faith. Now this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy as the leader of the church in Ephesus. And last time we told, Timothy was, was told to run. He was told to run in verse 11. Flee from all this, the sins that Paul has just described, run away from them and pursue, run towards righteousness, godliness, Faith and love, endurance and gentleness. He's been told to run, but now he's been told there's a time to, instead of running, stand your ground and fight. 
verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Now we're going to spend all our time on this phrase this evening. We're not even going to go into the second half of the verse. And we're going to begin with this, the fights that we're in. The fights we're in. The Christian life is described as a battle. Famously, Ephesians chapter 6 gives us armour to wear. So, in other words, we're involved in a warfare, a fight. Well, actually, more than one fight, there are various different fights we're involved in. Let's get some ideas. I want some contributions here. What fights are we involved in, in the Christian life? The fight against sin, good, the fight against sin. We could put with that temptation as well, the fight against sin and temptation. So, like Jesus, remember him fighting against temptation, what did he use? The sword of the Spirit is the word of God, and we're to fight off sin and temptation. What else are we in a fight with? What was that, Margaret? Complacency, sitting back and taking our ease, and then... Drifting backwards. You could say that's one of the messages of Hebrews. Fight against complacency, which results in drifting. Mike? The devil, you could say all of these are schemes of the devil, couldn't you? Uh, But it's all a fight against the devil, yes. What, What else does the devil throw at us? And we need a shield and a helmet against it. False doctrine, yes. And... I reckon he's putting into our minds often doubts and disbelief. That's why we need the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation protects our mind from all sorts of doubts and disbelief. Uh, Back to the one Mike said, fighting against the devil. I think there are fights against spiritual powers that are on top of these fights against sin and false doctrine and doubts. Uh, I've been trying to promote this book about James Fraser, missionary to... Southwest China. And it describes there him finding that when families turned from demon worship, they sometimes got sudden severe troubles in their families and even what appeared to be demon possession. The devil fighting back because he looks like he's losing one of his people. So there are fights against spiritual powers. They weren't just around in Bible times, they're still around today, although they may operate in different ways. How about this one? We have to fight. Well, you might want to have a look at Ephesians 4. What's the fight at the beginning of Ephesians 4? I'm thinking of, when I find it, I'll tell you the verse. It might seem a strange thing to fight over. Ephesians 4, verse 3. There's something we have to fight for. Ephesians 4, verse 3. Unity and peace. Isn't that a bit odd? Fight for unity and peace. But it says strive, and that's a fighting word. Because sometimes people endanger unity. Sometimes we endanger it. Sometimes our sins and our pride. There's a battle to keep unity and to keep peace. It needs to be fought over sometimes. So, various fights that we're engaged in. Now, do please notice being a Christian throws you into a whole load of battles. If you want a comfortable, easy life, and to just keep going with your ambitions and a bit of religion on the side, don't follow Jesus. Take up yoga, or dabble in Buddhism. 
But don't follow Jesus because he is a soldier king and he's about leading you into a whole load of battles. And it won't be a comfortable, easy life. If you want it comfortable and easy, try something else. Obviously, I don't mean that because Jesus isn't just the the warrior king. He's also the one who wins the battles. And you try something else, you're on the losing side. Young people, I'm told you want something bigger than just, let's just get a decent job and a wage and a nice house and spend my life keeping the privet hedge trimmed. I'm told you want something bigger than that. Well, here's something bigger. Following Jesus, the soldier king. Not an easy life, but a worthwhile one. Because you're following the king who wins battles and wins the battles that are worth winning. Not our petty little ideas that are often not worth taking up. So we're in a life of fights, but in chapter 6, verse 12, it's one particular fight. It's actually the one that Morris mentioned. The particular fight in mind here is the fight against false teaching. It's the fight to defend the truth. It's the fight to defend the gospel. I think I might need to persuade you that that's the fight verse 12 is about, and it's not about the other fights. They, they matter, but they're not here in verse 12. Verse 12 is the fight to defend the gospel and the truth. Let me spend a little bit of time trying to persuade you of that. First of all, verse 11 has already told Timothy to pursue faith. Do you see it there in verse 11? He's got to pursue six things, including faith. That's personal faith. He's got to nurture his trust in the Lord Jesus. Now, verse 12 is not just a repeat of that. It's something different. When it talks about the fight of the faith, it's something different. I don't often quote preachers, but a famous preacher in the 20th century called John Stott, he said, verse 11 and verse 12 refer to the major areas of the Christian life. How many major areas? Well, how many legs does a stool need to keep upright? Three. And there are three major areas of the Christian life that you need for a healthy life. You need right belief in God. You need experience of God. And you need right behaviour towards God. Do you see the three areas? Belief or doctrine. What are you taught and what do you believe? Experience and practice. Obedience. What do you do? Now, John Stott says, verse 11 is about practice. What do you do? Pursue righteousness. Verse 12 is about doctrine. Fight for the faith. And verse 12, the second half, is about experience. Embrace the eternal life that God has given you. Take hold of all that he's given you to experience. Do you see practice, doctrine, and, what did I say? Experience. Now, it's important to notice here in verse 12, it says, the faith. And that word, the, makes a difference. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy and Titus are called the pastoral epistles. And they're called that because in them, Paul is passing on the work of pastoring to the next generation, to the younger people. And in them, Paul repeatedly uses this phrase, the faith to mean the body of teaching, the doctrines, the beliefs that Christians hold to and that Paul's passing on and they need to pass on. For example, look at verse 21. 
1 Timothy 6 verse 21. False teachers, it says, they, they got taken up with this stuff falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. It means they've wandered from the beliefs that Christians hold to, the doctrines that the church teaches. Sometimes instead of the faith, it's called the good deposit. Just look over the page into 2 Timothy 1, verse 14. 1, verse 14. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Guard the truth that's been given to you like a deposit handed on. Sometimes it's called the trustworthy message. If you look onto Titus, I'm just trying to show you it's in all three of the books. Titus 1, verse 9. An elder must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. There's this body of truth that's being passed down and it's got to be defended and it's called the faith or the good deposit or the trustworthy message. And so the good fight of the faith is not a fight for personal faith. That was in verse 11. It's the fight for the Christian faith to defend the truth of the gospel. And that fits with what's going on in all of these pastoral epistles. There are false teachers have got in and they need to be fought off. So 1 Timothy even starts with this, chapter 1, verse 3. It's really one of the main themes of the book. 1 verse 3, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer. Timothy's got to fight off false doctrines. Timothy has got to guard the truth. Chapter 6, verse 20. Back into our chapter, verse 20. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Timothy needs to make sure it is passed on to others. So in 2 Timothy, he's told... And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. He's got to pass on the message. And as we've already read, Titus is told, appoint elders who hold to that message, both so they can encourage people by teaching sound doctrine and so they can refute, show up, people teaching false doctrine. You see, it's all in the context of this battle, battle for the truth. So, we've got a whole load of fights in the Christian life, and we can't opt out of any of them. Fight against sin, fight against doubts, fight against the devil, fight for unity and peace, but we've also got to fight for the truth and fight against error. Fight for the church to believe and teach the truth. That's what 1 Timothy 6 verse 12 is about. Now, I hope I've persuaded you that's what it's about. And I hope having done that, I can move on now to the fighting we must not do. We're told to fight in verse 12, but there is a whole load of fighting we must not do. In fact, we've just been warned about fighters in verses 3 and 5. We've been warned about people who like fighting. Let's read verse 3. 
If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions and constant friction. Do you see, these are people who fight. They like fighting. They like controversies. They provoke strife. And Timothy is told in verse 11, run away from that. Don't be like them. I remember when I was a teenager, some people at my church got hold of a leaflet that, that a minister had written to be given out to unbelievers. But to their disappointment found that in the process of this leaflet, the minister had a dig at various Christians he didn't like. And I remember saying, oh, why do you have to do that? And someone who knew that minister made this comment that always stuck in my mind. That man is never happy unless he's having a fight with someone. Stuck in my mind. Because it was obviously said as a very bad thing. Some people aren't happy unless they can have a quarrel, a fight, an argument. We're told, run away from that attitude. Do you like controversy? Most people don't, but some people do. They just love a controversy. Do you like a controversy? If so, why? What's so likeable about it? I suspect it's this, pride. Being able to show you are right and others are wrong. Feeling good, you've won the argument. You're clever. We must kill that sort of fighting spirit. We also mustn't engage in fighting that is pointless controversies. Have a look at verse 4 again. There are contro- there's such a thing as an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that just result in envy and strife and rubbish. Some controversies and quarrels about words are just pointless. So I, do you know the story Gulliver's Travels? Yeah, it's generally told to children, but it's actually not a children's story. The full version is quite complex and it's having... Is actually making some points about various things in society back then. This man, Gulliver, he ends up on an island where it's full of tiny people. And the tiny people of, is it Lilliput, I think? Lilliput. They are divided. Do you know what they're divided over? Which end to eat your boiled egg from? Do you crack it open at the small end, or do you crack it open at the big end? I think they're even called big enders and small enders, and they fight each other. And I think the author was getting at some of the silly controversies happening in the church in his time. And we have to admit he's right. The church is sometimes like that. We're like the big enders and the small enders falling out over ridiculous little things. It's put more strongly in 2 Timothy. In chapter 2, verse 23, Timothy's told, 2, verse 23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. That's strong language. Because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. That's what tends to happen when you lose your arguments. You're resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. 
Do you notice, Timothy is told, care about people and win the people, not care about arguments and winning arguments. So there is fighting we must not do. I hope we all get that, because I'm about to tell us fighting we must do, but we've really got to remember there's fighting we must not do. But thirdly, there is fighting we must do. What's the fighting we must do? Let's get back to 1 Timothy 6. If you read verse 11 and go straight into verse 12, it's rather strange and striking. Because verse 11 ends with, pursue gentleness, and then straight into, fight the good fight of the faith. How do you do that? Pursue gentleness and fight. But we've got to. That means we need to know who to be gentle with and who to fight. Now, do you remember a month or two ago the Rugby World Cup? And if you watched it on ITV, at just about every advert break, you'd have an advert for Dove. Dove's a rather annoying brand, but, um, which has taken to using its money to promote all sorts of dodgy causes. But it was quite an interesting advert by Dove, because it showed these rugby players scrumming and tackling and hitting the opposition hard, and then gently playing with their children at home. I think that's quite a good illustration of what's going on here. That's what Timothy is told to do. Scrum and tackle and hit the opposition hard and be gentle with the children. Maybe a more direct example is the shepherd. The shepherd who gently carries the injured sheep and who even gently cares for foolish sheep that are going astray. And he's the wandering sheep he's he's so caring for. But he isn't gentle with wolves if he's a good shepherd. He brings his crook down hard on their head, even if they are wolves, maybe especially if they are wolves in sheep's clothing. That's the good fight. Notice verse 12, it's called the good fight. In 2 Timothy, it's again called the good fight, and Timothy is called to be the good soldier. There is good fighting. Being gentle with God's people however weak and straying and difficult they are, and being fierce against untruth and those who promote it, however popular and respectable and dressed in sheep's clothing they are. So as Paul comes towards the end of his life and he passes on the work to the younger generation, he emphasises the need for this fight. He tells Timothy here, fight. In 2 Timothy, he tells him, guard the good deposits. Because a a time is coming when people are not going to put up with good teaching. They'll just want whatever suits their itching ears. So if in a church, over time, and you have to give it time, if in a church over time you never hear warning against false teaching, then the church leaders are failing in their duty. Because the Apostle Paul, when he handed on the baton, gave quite an emphasis to warning against false teaching, fighting for the truth. And if it was needed then, we can be sure it's needed today. You can see it also towards the end of the Bible, if you can find that tiny letter Jude. Bear with me as I try to find it. Jude. Do you know where Jude is? Just before Revelation. And Jude, verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith 
that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Notice they've slipped into the church, these false teachers, and sadly they've still slipped into the church today. Notice again there is such a thing as the faith entrusted to the saints, uh, the beliefs passed down from the apostles. And notice again, we are to contend, fight to defend the faith. That word contend is in Philippians chapter 1. Let me just read to you Philippians 1 verse 27 because there is a slight difference here. Philippians 1 verse 27, key verse in Philippians. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Now, here it's the church fighting together for the gospel. In 1 Timothy, it's Timothy as the leader told fight. But here, notice it says, stand together as one man, in one spirit. There's an emphasis on all together fight for the gospel. Did you notice it was called the faith again? The truth that's been passed down from Jesus through his apostles. But the context here shows it isn't just defending the gospel. Fight to defend it, but not just defending it. It's fighting to spread it too. I wonder, has anyone here been to see the Mary Rose in Portsmouth? The Mary Rose is not a girl, it's a ship. The Mary Rose was Henry VIII's favourite ship, and you can go and see it in a museum there where they spend a tremendous amount of money every day preserving it. And an awful lot of effort is put into preserving it. And you can go and look at it, but you cannot go to sea in it. Any of you who've seen that, well, that will be completely obvious because it's just this rotten bit of wood. It's totally unseaworthy, it's just a museum piece. But we're not to contend for the gospel as a museum piece like the Mary Rose. No, we must be about preserving and defending the gospel like a team of people in the RNLI keeping their lifeboat in good order so it can go out into the storms and rescue people. That's what we're doing, keeping the lifeboat in good order. And sometimes keeping the lifeboat, the gospel lifeboat in good order, means fighting over words. Hang on, didn't I say don't fight over words? No, I didn't quite. I said many fights, some fights over words are pointless controversies. But not all of them are. Not all of them are in a chapter 6 verse 4 category. God has spoken words. And those words have meanings. And false teachings often come into the church by using words from the Bible, but giving them slightly different or very different meanings. And so people don't pick up. Oh, we're singing the same hymns as before, and we're hearing the same words as before, but not realising they're having different meanings from before injected into them. So here's one uh, very blatant example. Which church talked about grace more than any other church probably down through history? The answer is the Roman Catholic Church in the Middle Ages. 
talking about grace far more than a 21st century evangelical church does. It was a, but it was a church that encouraged people to pay money to buy their way into salvation and go on pilgrimage to Rome in order to earn acceptance by God. But it talked about grace. And it used the word justification. But it meant very different things from what the Bible does by grace and justification. So not all arguments about words are chapter 6, verse 4, pointless controversies. False teaching has often come into the church using Bible words and saying, well, let's not be too hung up about exactly getting the definition right. Sometimes keeping the gospel lifeboat in order means speaking up against people and sometimes even means putting people out of the church. Give you an example. In the 1920s and 1930s in the USA, there was a church leader called Gresham Machen. Funny name, and there we are, that was his name. And he was speaking out against false teachers. He was pointing out they were using Bible words but with different meanings, and that people hadn't picked up on this. And he pointed out this isn't just a little difference of opinion, these people are denying the faith and they're going to destroy what's going on in this church. Now, 80% of the people in his church were evangelicals who believed the gospel. But they said, now, we don't agree with these new teachers, with their new teachings. But it's just a difference of opinion. Come on, Mr. Gresham Machen, you shouldn't say such harsh things against them. Because it's just a difference of opinion and we've all got to live together. And so they wouldn't put the false teachers out of the church. But false teachers and people who fight false teaching can't live together. And so Gresham Machen ended up having to leave the church... And you can guess what happened over the decades. The other false, the false teachers, they ended up being the ones who dominated the church and that church ended up losing the gospel. Sometimes fighting, keeping the gospel lifeboat in good order means speaking up against people and taking on popular action. It's not just 1920s and 30s USA. I'm going to stick out my neck and give a... I might get into trouble for this, but I think it's in the spirit of 1 Timothy. Give an example closer to home. I was in a meeting of the Loughborough Church's partnership when a leader of a Methodist church said, why did Jesus die? Well, difficult question. We don't really know why. Well, I spoke to one of the leaders of the Loughborough Church's partnership and said, look, the gospel is too important for us just to pass over that and say we're one with a person who says, why did Jesus die? Don't really know. We can't say we're one with that sort of teaching. But because they just didn't see, it just didn't seem that they would take action with, no, we must keep the unity. We must keep the unity. We're all one, really. If you keep unity with people who say that, you can't be in unity with people who insist on fighting that. And so I think the conclusion is we can't be part of Loughborough Church's partnership. All church groupings end up dividing from someone. It is unavoidable you end up dividing from someone. You either divide from those who teach false teachings or you divide from the people who insist on fighting false teachers. You're going to divide one way or the other. If we believe the truth but won't fight for it, oh no, that's nasty. Come on, don't be harsh. False teaching is given a voice. The truth gets silenced. 
And the next generation won't believe the truth. We might believe it, but not fight for it. The next generation won't believe it. So we must fight. But, lastly, something better than fighting. We must end with something better than fighting. Now, think forward a week and a bit to Christmas Day. On the afternoon of Christmas Day, will there be many parents in Loughborough telling their children, don't scavenge for food from the dustbins and eat food from the dustbins? Do most, children, do most parents have to tell their children that on Christmas Day? Well, presumably not, because their children don't want to scavenge for food from the dustbins because they're well fed with lovely Christmas dinner, I hope. More effective than telling children don't eat food from the dustbins is make sure they're well fed with good food. What on earth am I talking about? Can you guess where this is going? Better than showing false teaching is wrong is to get people to taste and see that the Lord is good. And when they've tasted the real Jesus and tasted his real gospel, they won't want anything else because nothing else is going to be anywhere near as good. Nothing else is as good as his love. So costly and yet so free to us. Offered to us in our sins, but he doesn't leave us in our sins. So personal that we can say the son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. And yet it it moves me out from just little me because it's so big. It's about Jesus as head of a new humanity making a new world. Appreciating the gospel and knowing this Jesus is like a vaccination against false teaching. Taste him and you don't want to taste anything else because nothing is as good as Jesus and his gospel. Nothing else gives us hope like him. I went to a funeral last week where I heard about the life of a man. It It was in many ways a good life. It was a nice life. But it was a life lived without Christ and it was a solemn thing to be there because there's no substitute for belonging to him and for his gospel. That's the best antidote to false teaching. But we still do need warnings. We still do need the fight. I try and illustrate it like this. When I was a student at university, I remember speaking to a fellow student and he was saying, Roman Catholicism is just another version of Christianity. It's got some different ideas, yes, but it's basically just the same. I remember pointing out to him, look, Roman Catholicism takes away from Christ by saying something needs to be added to his work. And when I'd explain that to this chap, When he saw that, he agreed, that is bad and that's a big problem. You see, he got the main thing. And the main thing is this, he had tasted that the Lord is good. He knew that what Jesus has done is enough and he didn't like anyone dishonouring his saviour by saying, no, it's not enough, you've got to add these works. But he also had a well-meaning but naive not recognising what false teachers are like and they can be subtle and they can look good. Do you see what that shows? The main thing we need is to taste and see the Lord is good. More important than fighting error is appreciating truth. But we do also need warnings. We can't opt out of the battle. Because wrong teaching can be very subtle and come in very impressive disguises. So, 
1 Timothy 6 verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. The church is the lifeboat that drowning people need. The church has medicine that dying people need. So we must work at keeping the lifeboat in good order. We must work at keeping the medicine the purest and best that we can. And that means we'll need to speak out against wrong beliefs and wrong teachings. And we'll need to warn against false teachers. And we'll need to separate from them. But it also means we need to remember a church can be correct but dead. And a lifeboat can be in very good order and kept in the boathouse. And medicine can be very powerful but kept in the pot. So we need to be those who taste and see that the Lord is good and don't just know what's correct, we know him and love him and want him honoured and so go and make him known. So let's pray for that now.